0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: Listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse.
2: Sir Keir Starmer insists that Junior Transport Minister Sam Tarry had to be sacked for making up Labour policy on the hoof during an interview. As opposed to him, of course, who's been making up Labour policy with his fingers crossed behind his back. Centrica, the owner of British Gas, announces soaring profits and payouts for shareholders as analysts warn that British energy bills could hit £500 a month over the winter. Costs should come down again in spring, however, once the corpses of 6 million frozen state pensioners have been successfully converted into biofuel. While welcoming the Commonwealth Games to Birmingham, Nadine Dorries claims that the UK hasn't hosted an event like it since the 2012 Olympics, appearing to forget that Glasgow hosted them in 2014. It's nothing personal, Scotland. Dorries just views you like her own neck, with absolutely nothing going on north of the border. And finally, a motorist fleeing the scene of a crash is attacked by emus in the field he runs into. After being violently trampled into one of the birds' nests, he had egg on his face when he was eventually arrested. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News – It's time to down tools, set up the picket lines, get the kettle on and take strike action against the facts, because we're here campaigning for better news and opinions. Let us take you by the hand, dear listener, and guide you gently through the sun-dappled woodlands of the truth, on the way to our impartial and unbiased Nirvana, or at least talk you through half an hour or so of unbridled cynicism, in which we basically call all politicians bastards of one description or another. It's been another week of Conservative jostling for position here on Earth Prime, as the competition to become Prime Minister heats up like a festival toilet in the midday sun. The hustings have begun, during which Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak will try to win over Tory members to their side, and some of the promises being made are, well, let's just say, only worrying if you aren't a big fan of fascism. Truss has basically pledged to smash the unions, presumably with the hardest object she has to hand, which will inevitably be the head of Nadine Dorries. And Rishi Sunak, for the first time in his life, is now desperately pledging tax cuts and offering us all new grammar schools in an embarrassing attempt to play catch-up with the first woman in his life he hasn't been able to pay to leapfrog. The fight between the pair has proven so toxic that it even knocked out the host of their last debate on Talk TV, Kate McCann. Although, to be fair, collapsing and falling asleep isn't even the most inattentive a Kate McCann has been when they were supposed to be watching something. Regardless of the deeply worrying plans being set out by the Tory leadership candidates, we can at least rely on the consistency of the Labour Party and their unwavering dedication to snatching defeat from the seemingly obvious jaws of victory. As the cost of living crisis bites and more and more workers are asked to accept real-terms pay cuts – even as their paymasters enjoy record profits and soaring shareholder payouts, you'd think that the Labour Party would find an easy win by backing the very unions and working people that supposedly make up the heart and soul of the party. Under Keir Starmer, though, things are a little more complicated than that. Tom King has been travelling the multiverse this week in search of a contrived analogy through which we can explain.
3: Thanks, Sam. It's been a tricky couple of weeks for Keir Starmer's Labour Party. It seems extraordinary that I'm even saying that, given the open goals that the Tories have recently been handing to their opposition with all the eagerness of a non-stoling-out Haribo on Halloween. You might think that a bruising Conservative leadership contest in which the two candidates tear strips off each other's records in government, despite the both of them bearing collective responsibility for said record, would hand an obvious advantage to Labour, particularly when you set it against the worst cost-of-living crisis in decades and chaos at the ports and on the railways. Instead, though, the Labour leader's office once again seems determined to hand a hostile press some negative headlines of their own. I'm talking, of course, about the sacking of junior transport minister Sam Tarry, who this week joined striking railway workers on the picket line, Not only that, he also called for above-inflation pay rises for British workers while speaking to the media. Honestly, the fucking nerve of the bloke. Since when have those been Labour Party values? This latest controversy comes at a time when tensions between Labour's left and Keir Starmer's office are already running high. We're just a week or so out from the shocking revelations of the Ford report It firmly laid the vast lion's share of the blame for the factional conflict under Jeremy Corbyn at the feet of a party machinery that too often worked to actively undermine him. The response from Keir Starmer to Ford's independent confirmation of the weaponised anti-Semitism, racism and misogyny, and inappropriate diversion of campaign funding and resources that so hobbled Corbyn's leadership has been, well, muted at best, and fucking disingenuous at worst. The factionalism is less bad now, might be true on paper, but only because the villains of the Ford Report now stand victorious. Under Starmer, the Corbynite left's influence on the Labour Party has either been dulled or purged completely. The Starmer camp's cry of, hey look, we're not fighting anymore, carries no clout as a position on the moral high ground if it was achieved through the brutal and disproportionate massacring of their opponents. The sacking of Sam Tarry has reopened the wounds of the Ford Report, asking as it does some very important questions about the ideological purpose of Keir Starmer's Labour Party. It's obviously the logical position of any truly democratic socialist party to support these strikes, but Starmer is yet again attempting to walk a pragmatist tightrope, insisting that his party will always be on the side of the workers... Well, banning frontbenchers in his shadow cabinet from joining strikers on the picket line. His problem has always been that such mealy-mouthed caution looks inauthentic and dishonest. That's a perception that's hardly been helped by his apparent abandonment of so many of the pledges in his leadership campaign, and his recent attempts to distance himself from any policy that hints at the renationalisation of our public services. Now, I've said it before, And I'll say it again, winning over floating moderates and borderline Tories only makes sense as an electoral tactic if you don't simultaneously piss off enough left-wing voters to cancel them out. And the furious response from the unions over Starmer's decision to sack Tarry suggests he might be doing just that. Make no mistake... The right to demand better pay and conditions at work is under relentless attack right now. Some of the proposals to neuter the power of the unions Liz Truss is suggesting in her leadership campaign would have been unthinkable even in the 70s. We are absolutely facing the prospect of an enormous national general strike over pay and conditions and Starmer may well be making a huge mistake by not taking a bold position over the issue now which is why I've come here to try and find some evidence that his cautious, fence-sitting approach to these current strikes is the right one. This is Earth Victor Echo Goldilocks Grim, 38. It's a pocket reality based entirely on the psychic energy projected by all the sweet little children of the multiverse. Here... Almost everything is filtered through the magical power of allegory, with the people living here experiencing all of their major life decisions through the sweet lens of adorable children's stories. Here, Keir Starmer has just crept across the threshold of the Three Tory Bears House. Let's see how he gets on
0: whilst choosing a bed. Hmm. Above inflation pay rises, renationalization of our public services, and a pledge to completely secure the democratic right to campaign for better conditions through collective industrial action. Oh. This one is far too soft and radical
3: <sighs> Oh, bless him. He needs a little nap. He's completely full of vanilla centrist porridge, just like back home on Earth Prime.
0: Ooh, outright fascism, deporting brown people to Rwanda, abandoning our obligations under the European Court of Human Rights and smashing the rights of the working class. This one's not radical enough. So here we have it, dear listener. The moment of truth. Hmm. Purging the left while claiming to be on the side of the worker, sacking my own deputy leader's boyfriend, completely ignoring the findings of the Ford report while claiming to be all for equality and socialism. Excellent. This one is just right. It appears we have a winner. Well, this seems lovely and comfy. Hang on. What am I accidentally getting into bed with? Oh, shit. Oh, it's full of Tory bears.
3: Oh, dear. I see that went about as well as any other Labour Party position of the last ten years. I'm Tom King and Up The Workers, reporting for IC News.
2: It's not just Labour's bridges with the trade unions that have been burning up recently, as this week meteorologists warned us that 2022 has been the driest start to the year in four decades. Hang on, was it? Yes, most contrived segue of the season and we're only on episode four. Sorry, I've digressed. As Britain looks to a future with more extreme weather, some experts are warning that a failure to adapt to the situation may mean our water security ends up at risk. Just this week, Hampshire and the Isle of Wight have announced hosepipe bans in a bid to ration water use, with several analysts warning that the country is on course for severe droughts later in the summer. On the line today to discuss the future of Britain's water supply in an ever-changing climate, it's Danny Sutcliffe.
4: Hello, Sam. Don't mind the noise, pal. I'm just filling up the hot tub, watering the grass, and running a third hosepipe directly into the drain for shits and giggles. It's a beautiful summer's day, and I will not be fooled by the machinations and lies of big water. It's just yet more scaremongering nonsense. I live in Manchester, for fuck's sake. We're wetter than an otter's pocket. If they think they can scare me with a hosepipe ban, they've got another thing coming. I will gush and spurt with willful abandon. Just as Mother Nature intended.
2: Oh, good. It's going to be another day of you being perfectly logical and sensible, isn't it?
4: You know me, Sam. I'm ever the pragmatist.
2: Uh, I'm not sure you know what that word means, Danny.
4: I believe it's Latin for has a very soggy lawn, Sam. Yeah,
2: not quite, but you have quite aptly highlighted something, actually, which is the discrepancy between the regions for the future of the UK's water security. The north-west does get a lot more rainfall than the south of England, but the wider problem with climate change is that we are generally looking at wetter winters and drier summers. That poses all kinds of problems, and it also competes with a growing population. By 2050, it's projected that the UK may have as many as 12 million extra mouths to water.
4: Ooh, kinky!
2: Yeah, that sounded grosser than I intended, but it is just one of the challenges facing our national water supply, and we do need a radical plan to diversify our storage and abstraction methods.
4: Fucking hell mate, you're depressing. Can I not just get through one week without another fucking doom and gloom climate assignment? One second we're burning up, the next we're getting flooded, then it's severe storms, and now it's the driest year on record! I can't keep up!
2: Surely you get how all those things are interconnected, though, Danny. It's not just a question of things getting hotter. These extreme events all feed into each other.
4: Well, the only thing I'm feeding right now is me flowerbed, Sam. And I'm getting a bloody lovely suntan as I do it. So if we could just drop the fucking misery in for one episode, I'd appreciate it. Oh, my God.
5: Danny, what the bloody hell are you doing? Oh, for fuck's sake, here we go.
4: Hi, Gerald.
2: See, this is why I don't like you working from home.
5: You're flooding my kitchen, you bugger. My lino's warping.
4: I'm trying to illustrate a point for the audience at home, Gerald.
5: Are we on the wireless again?
4: No, I'm on the wireless again. You're just a nosy prick.
5: I don't think it's nosy of me to ask you to not ruin my property.
4: buddy. hell, it's all me, me, me with your generation, isn't it?
2: Danny, do you think we could keep on track rather than getting sidelined by another argument with your neighbour?
4: Oh, hello again, Sam.
2: Hi, Gerald.
4: For fuck's sake, do you mind, Gerald? Sam and I are trying to have a very serious conversation about the future of the UK's water security.
5: And you're doing that while running a hosepipe directly into my kitchen window, are you?
2: It's illustrative, Gerald. Of what? You being a cunt... Whoa, OK, let's just try and cool things down a bit, shall we? This is a cable news network, after all. We have to at least pretend to control the language a little.
5: Oh, fuck 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 off, Sam! Sam. I just don't know why I always get the brunt of this nonsense when you're reporting from home. First you burn down my birdhouse, then you tried to illegally occupy my garden, and now you're flooding the whole bloody
4: neighbourhood! I'm taking a stand, Gerald. Standing up for all of us. Refusing to accept that water can become just another resource through which the man steps on all of our throats. This is the hole in the ozone layer all over again. A load of hysterical nonsense and then nothing ever happened.
5: The hole in the ozone layer was fixed by sweeping international agreements that banned the use of CFCs, Danny. It took scientific recognition of the cause of the problem, decisive political will, and collective action and a sense of community responsibility to repair
4: the damage. Did it?
2: Yes, Danny, it did.
4: Right. I didn't know that, actually. (coughs) Sorry, Gerald. I may have got a bit carried away.
5: (sighs) That's quite all right, Danny. At this point, I'm used to you getting carried away. In fact, I know just how you can make it up to me while my kitchen's drying out.
2: Danny, what's happening?
4: Gerald, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not touching that. Oh, don't be daft.
5: I'm going in your hot tub, that's all. And it serves you right for flooding my bloody house. Oh, thank Christ for that.
4: What do you mean, thank Christ for that? He's about 90. I don't want that going anywhere near my hot tub. Oh, bloody hell. Oh,
5: it's nice and warm, isn't it? I see why you young'uns like these things so much. Fucking
4: hell, Gerald. Could you not at least have put some trunks on? Oh, God, they're floating.
5: Oh, it tickles. Excuse me?
2: Well, I hope you've learned your lesson, Danny. Even if nobody at home has learned anything about our future water crisis...
4: Fucking hell, I've learnt me lesson alright. I'm never bobbing for apples again. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and I'm going to go and bleach my eyes. Reporting for IC
2: News.
5: Oh, it's going right up my bottom. Reminds me of the Merchant Navy.
2: Today we're going to be doing two things we rarely do. End on something positive, and actually cover a sports story. Look, my biggest muscle has always been my brain, alright? No, Mr Merritt, I don't want to run eight laps of the field. I'd rather be playing Magic the Gathering and avoiding the ritual humiliation. But putting my barely suppressed traumatic memories aside, some people do enjoy sports, the weird bastards, and this week it's been all about the England women's football team. Here's Alison June Smith with more.
1: Can you hear that, England? Of course you can. That's the sound of a crowd that are pumped for victory because later on today, the Lionesses take on Germany in the final of the European Championship. By the time you're listening to this, you may already know the outcome. But for me, right here, right now, it's all about the anticipation. With expectations running high after a stunning semi-final victory against Sweden, whatever happens this evening... This is a woman's team who have thoroughly proven that they deserve their place in football history. They've played with the determination and confidence of a team with full faith in their own abilities. Let's face it, you don't score a goal with a backheel nutmeg in the semi-final of an international tournament unless you know exactly what the fuck you're doing. Take a bow, ladies. Whatever happens tonight, you've kicked some serious ass. The football itself has been awesome. But something else that's been genuinely brilliant to see has been the level of support from the fans. For far too long, women's football has been underfunded and underappreciated. But when the major tournaments come around, there's no denying that the fan base for world-class women's football is absolutely there. Mainly because, well, as an England fan, it's just kind of nice to see a team be genuinely dominant and consistently good. If that sounds a little snarky of me, I mean no disrespect to the men. As every insult on YouTube has felt the need to point out this week, we are talking about quite different styles of play here. Personally, I prefer the one where the team go on an 18-game unbeaten run, and then they don't gang-rape anyone in a travel lodge afterwards. But, well, that's just me. Without taking anything away from the team's achievements in this tournament, if things don't go to plan tonight, if England do win the final later, it'll be a huge boost for the women's game here in the U.K., Just seeing women play at the highest level on TV or in a stadium converts fans to the joys of the women's division. And not only that, it inspires a whole generation of little girls who may traditionally have felt that football wasn't for them. And the extra eyes on the product bring more sponsorship and media attention, which in turn feeds into the grassroots of the game. More money creates more opportunities for those newly interested kids to succeed in the sport, which in turn creates the next generation of stars. We're a long way off seeing genuine equality in terms of the pay professional female players can earn, but you better believe that those lucrative sponsorship opportunities will be there for the European Championship winner. And it's about time. Personally, I can't wait for Gillette to run a campaign proving that their razors are just as good at shaving a lesbian's legs as they are at doing Raheem Sterling's face. Plus, it'd be woke by default. Rather than just crowbarring it in there and upsetting the fragile masculinity of all the estate agents and craft beer enthusiasts who are convinced that deep down they're really Viking warriors. All joking aside... This tournament has been great for football fans of every creed and gender. And it's been legitimately fantastic to see so many men offer the Lionesses their unequivocal support. If tonight's game boosts the profile of the sport, that's a victory in itself. And Serena Wiegmann's team will be able to hold their heads up high, whatever the outcome is. Hell, even a Canadian like me has been converted. And I'm used to the excitement of two teams literally beating the absolute shit out of one another at ice hockey. Whether it's a win for the history books tonight or not, England have done their bit. What we all need to do now in return is keep that enthusiasm for the women's game going so that we can foster and encourage the next generation of exceptional talents like Beth Mead, Millie Bright, and Alicia Russo. I'm Allison June Smith. And Christ, it's nice to report a story about women that isn't just about our rights getting ripped out from under us. Reporting for I.C. News. Woo! It's coming home, boys! And you can make your own fucking sandwich when it gets there!
2: Thanks for that, Alison. Much like Nadine Dorries, I too hope that the English Dragons score lots of tries at Wimbledon and come first in the World Cup against AC Milan. That story brings us to the end of our broadcast and the end of this particular third of Season 8. We'll be taking a break next week with the best bits of episodes 1 to 4 before returning with Episode 5 on the 14th of August. Until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. The loser of the Wagatha Christie trial has been revealed and it's... Rebecca Vardy, who may now have to pay up to £2 million in costs after a judge rules she was likely responsible for leaking stories about Colleen Rooney to the press. Honestly, petty scandals and a corrupt scramble to destroy records and evidence, I'm just surprised Vardy didn't get a place in the current cabinet. Meteorologists say they faced unprecedented levels of abuse after linking last week's heatwave to the effects of climate change, indicating that many people sought shade in the UK's hottest day on record by shoving their own heads up their arses. Rishi Sunak pledges to cut VAT on energy bills if he becomes Prime Minister. The former Chancellor has denied U-Turning on the issue, or at least we think that's what he said, it's hard to hear when he's facing away from you. And finally, a Russian chess robot breaks a seven-year-old boy's finger during a match, signalling the start of the rise of Skynet. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye.
4: Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you, and no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me and if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.